0: Hi, everybody. Welcome back to the eighth episode of Open Source for Business, brought to you by Open Teams. In this episode of Open Source for Business, I talk with Nithya Ruff, who is the chair of the Linux Foundation and also the head of Comcast's Open Source Program Office. Nithya has been listed in the past as one of the most influential women in Open Source by CIO Magazine. I had a really, really interesting conversation with Nithya and she provided some truly invaluable advice for any company that's using, contributing to, or even creating open source software. Some of the topics that we did discuss uh, and that we went deep in, dove deep into, were uh, largely centered around what an open source program office is, why any company would want one, how do you go about setting one up? And then how do you measure the success, so the ROI of having that open source program office? Nithi goes on to explain why an open source friendly approach attracts great talent. And she's very, very passionate about diversity inclusion within the open source space. So we talk quite a bit about that too. We discussed many other things and it's a really fun and engaging conversation. So I look forward to you all listening to it. One thing I did want to share with all of you before we get into this is the link to Comcast GitHub page. I think you'll really find some great stuff there. You can see all of the amazing work they've been doing and some, there are some really awesome projects on there. So just again, this is a podcast brought to you by OpenTeams, the open source services marketplace where users of open source software can find, vet, and contract with service providers. To show support for this podcast, it would be great if you could leave a review on Apple Podcasts, letting us know what you think. That really does go a long way, so thank you for all your support so far. All right, I think we're ready, so let's dive right in. Nithya, thank you so much for joining us.
1: It's such a pleasure, Henry. Thank you for inviting me.
0: I know that you've you've published a lot of articles. I've seen your name all over social media uh, when it comes to open source. And you give a lot of talks around business and community all around the world uh, at conferences like the OSS Summit, OzCon, All Things Open, Scale, OpenStack, and the list literally goes on. And while you didn't start out necessarily as a coder using open source software, you began your career in open source when you were working at at SGI in the 90s. So you go a while back in open source. So could you take us a a bit back and give us an idea of how you got here today?
1: Absolutely, Henry. And uh, it's, it's stunning to me when I look back that it was the beginning days of open source. Uh, So I started in, as you said, in 1998, working at Silicon Graphics, which was a world-class server uh, company uh, who produced post-production software for movies like Indiana Jones and uh, Jurassic Park. And um, we were in the midst of making a transition from proprietary operating systems to Linux-based servers we could see the writing on the wall that open source was here to stay and that customers wanted open source based servers on x86 type of architecture standards based architecture Uh, customers got uh, the cost effectiveness the innovation of linux and so i was part of a strategy team learning all i could about how open source communities worked and how Silicon Graphics could then work closely with the community and then bridge to our customers and serve our customers using an open source based product. It's a very different model. And so uh, it was so much fun to be in the early days of open source. Um, and, and I think that began my journey. And I, I would say the overarching Story for me is I'm a connector. I connect communities of open source and companies. So I help companies work more effectively with open source and help open source communities work more effectively with enterprises and companies that are adopting open source so broadly. So if you will, the next step was a natural step. I joined a startup called Tripwire, helped them with their open source strategy, and open source their products uh, which then led me to uh, really leading a whole product line an embedded Linux product line at Vindriver Systems which was a part of Intel. Um, I got to work with both open source communities like Yocto and other embedded open source communities and really sell customers on the benefits of a commercial open source distribution that we were uh, providing, so you can see it was yet another aspect of uh, commercial open source. And then I was lucky enough to work at Sandisk Western Digital, which is a storage company, flash-based storage. And on the surface, one thinks, uh, you know, what does storage have to do with open source? But there's a tremendous amount of open source innovation that is happening inside Sandisk to make sure that software could optimize and effectively support storage. So I started the first open source program office for SanDisk and reported into the CTO at SanDisk. Um, And that was a a tremendous uh, uh, experience because I also got to start the Women's Innovation Network at SanDisk, which was our employee resource group there for women in technology. And so I could, I could really take both passions of uh, representing diversity and also starting open innovation for a company like SanDisk, which led me uh, to my current um, area, which is Comcast. And uh, as you, you also covered my open source work at the Linux Foundation. And uh, it's, it's just a, a fantastic place to be I'm doing the best work of my life and enjoying
0: it. That is great to hear. And you've obviously got such a, a broad range of experience, but something that you really focused on, too, is the open source program offices, which which we'll touch soon. But before we get into that, I really I wanted to know, uh, over the years and over the decades, what have been the most important changes or the, the most impactful changes that you've witnessed uh, in the open source space?
1: Um, Very, very uh, good question because it's important to look back and look at our history and where we have come from. Um, The first phase I always define as the community phase, Um, it's where free and open source software was born Um, in MIT, you know, with people like Richard Stallman, the Free Software Foundation, the beginning of the GNU uh, GPL license, Um, that kind of said... The way business was done in proprietary software is not good enough. Uh, we need more collaboration. We need access to source code. And we need to be uh, have the freedom, really, to use it for whatever we want. So that was really the community phase, I would say. It was very organic. Uh, a lot of people uh, were involved. Um, the second phase, I would say, is the foundations phase, So you have the beginning of foundations like the Apache Foundation, the Linux Foundation. Um, This was started because companies started using open source and they wanted a neutral place where they could collaborate with each other and create new software together. Um, You couldn't really do it, say, from an IBM or a Sun or a Silicon Graphics because it would be biased or it would be driven by one company. And this provided a neutral home. The other objective of these foundations was to protect and defend open source, to propagate open source, to educate people on open source. So uh, the creation of foundations to me is significant. The third phase is the beginning of massive hyperscale and cloud companies starting to build their infrastructure on open source. So you see the beginnings of Google uh, using open source, Facebook, Amazon, and uh, you can go on and on. Um, All of these companies uh, were born post open source. And so they, and infrastructure was rich in the open source arena, and they started building on open source. The fourth phase, Um, frankly, is enterprises like Comcast, Capital One, uh, others uh, starting to use open source themselves and realizing that they could be empowered and they could become software development houses. They could be technology leaders and start innovating uh, on their own uh, in the application space, in the customer UI space where they serve customers. So to me, that's uh, the long history and some of the major events that happened in open source.
0: That was that was amazing, it's great just to see the change. And I think it really is just the businesses actually taking open source more seriously. And that, that's what's changed to the extent that every business knows they need to take open source seriously if they wanna operate in a modern day uh, corporate environment. Uh, so going forward, what are some of the trends that you are seeing happening right now that enterprises should be aware of?
1: Um, you hit it on the nail, Henry. I think enterprises need to recognize all enterprises need to recognize that they are now technology companies and digital companies, especially during COVID it has accelerated Mm -hmm. companies need to be digital companies to serve their customers digitally and through technology. Um, what that means is that they're all consuming or using software of some sort and even working, you know, creating software. And it also means that 80 to 90 percent of the software they're consuming will include some form of open source. So they need to get educated in open source. They need to understand how to engage with open source, how to work with open source. They need to understand licenses, etc. cetera. And then the second major trend, I would say, for enterprises to pay attention to is that open source is not just for working externally with open source communities. You can bring the power of collaboration inside the company and use it to collaborate inside the company across divisions, across product lines, thereby breaking down silos, reusing software collaborating with teams across the company even to create proprietary software and that movement has been called inner source
0: inner source okay as i was going to ask that's the that's the inner source movement that you were talking Mm -hmm. about okay and you briefly touched on uh best practices or, or what companies should be doing when they're contributing uh, to open source or engaging with communities. But before I actually dive into uh, more details around that, I really wanted to focus in on what I see as your expertise. And uh, that is open source program offices, you're now the head of Comcast's open source program office, and you started Sun uh, open source program office. So for those listening who are companies, and they maybe have one representative or even just a group of people who are interested in open source. Uh, For A lot of also the, those that don't know anything about it, what is an open source program office and why would any company want one?
1: And um, that's a great question because open source program office is a concept that started just in the last 10 years. So essentially, I would say uh, some of the early companies were HP, Google, Intel um, have had major open source program offices
0: and
1: it often is large, large companies that start kind of this type of an office. So what is it? Right. Um, It is a center of excellence uh, for all things open source in a company. It means that a company assembles experts in open source in one place uh, which becomes very efficient for uh, all engineering teams, legal teams, communication teams to work with. Uh, mm-hmm. Not everybody needs to you know, become an expert in this. It's a concept that's pretty familiar to very large and traditional companies. For example, for many, many years, companies had standards bodies, uh, You know, a group of people inside the company who would interface with standards bodies and make sure that they brought back information from the standards bodies and also contributed and influenced the standards body for the benefit of the company. So I call an OSPO as having six C's as in Charlie. Uh, The first C I would say is communication, communicating about open source inside and outside the company. The second C is consumption, so helping teams consume wisely and correctly. Um, The third C is contributing back to open source, so really guiding teams to contribute back and also provide a process for approving contributions back to open source. The fourth C would be collaboration, helping teams engage with open source communities, with foundations, with other open source businesses, and really harness the power of uh, collaboration. The fifth C would be compliance, extremely important. Um, One of the small things we need to do when we use open source is comply with the licenses and understand the obligations that come with the licenses. And so we uh, consult and help teams inside Comcast comply with the license. The last C, which is so all-encompassing, is culture. So it's really um, creating a culture of open source, being a good citizen in open source. It's uh, competency around open source. Um, It's everything. Uh, It's really being a friendly and a good citizen in open source. Uh, Let's see, what else can I say about an OSPO? It, It really kind of Includes a lot of different functions. We are developer advocates, so we work with our developers and we advocate on their behalf with communications, with legal teams. We champion open source engagement, uh, and and one of the functions that more and more I'm doing is I'm an innovation strategist. So I consult with the business to see where open source makes sense, whether they should open source something or consume open source or collaborate with others. So it's, it's I, I call it um, a jack of all trades or a Jill of all trades. And um, the team that I have from an open source perspective um, really brings together a multifunctional outlook um, and a huge community frame uh, of mind.
0: I think, yeah, it always, it always comes back to community. And one thing you touched on before that I'd like to sort of just deviate back to a little bit is the idea of compliance. Uh, primarily because last week we had a, a few weeks ago, we, we had a chat with Paul Chen who works at Synopsis on uh, different auditing, uh, mainly works on auditing. And he was saying there was a client that uh, after doing an audit report found, I think it was over 150,000 open source projects, uh, dependencies in their software, which they were just flabbergasted by. So uh, do you have any advice uh, to the, those listening? How do you make sure that you're, you're being compliant? Do you need a legal team? Do you need just one person who's uh, got that legal background? Do you need a legal background at all?
1: Um, So the the, uh, open source program office itself, we are not legal experts. We're not lawyers, but we work extremely closely with our legal team. One of the best relationships we have is with our legal team. Mm -hmm. And we have a fabulous legal team at Comcast, people who really can think broadly not just about uh, risk mitigation, but can think about the business needs for open source. So I would say one of the first things is um, get very friendly with your legal team and um, also bring your legal team into open source events, open source forums, where they can understand um, and also work with their peers in open source legal uh, to understand why and how to balance Uh, company needs with open source licenses and open source needs. So I would say that's number one. Number two is a lot of education. So we have a mandatory course that every single engineer and product manager needs to take in the company. Uh, It's just 15, 20 minutes. It teaches them um, the compliance uh, principles and, and our policy around compliance as a company. Third, you have to have a policy document, a guidelines in the company around open source, uh, how to consume it, how to use it wisely. We highly encourage our teams to innovate using open source, but we also want them to use it correctly. So we provide guidelines and we provide policy documents. The fourth, I would say from a compliance perspective, is build it into your pipeline, into your workflow, into your development pipeline. So it's, it's a no brainer uh, right from um, the intake of open source to nightly builds where you're checking for open source and resolving conflicts or resolving license issues to creation of disclosure notices and posting of disclosure notices, automate that and make sure that it's uh, well oiled and well done. Uh, to me, compliance is uh, a respect for open source, it's a respect for the community, and we are very, very um, encouraging and supportive of our teams doing it well.
0: That's great, because it is such an important issue, there's been so many famous legal cases where you've just, you've realized the money at stake if you're not not taking compliance seriously. So. For those listening who are interested in what you've said, where can they begin to start an OSPO? Where where should a company begin?
1: Um, So I'll be shuffling some papers because I wanted to make sure you got the best uh, advice from us in terms of how we've done uh, open source. Um, I would say to begin, I would say start with Uh, someone in your teams and not all companies are very large and not all companies can afford to have uh, a large team uh, of experts doing it so I would say start with someone in your development team who is an open source enthusiast or an open source expert there always is one because a lot of us really really enjoy working with the open source community and love the philosophy of collaboration Mm -hmm. so start with that expert have that expert uh, go take a look at all of the uses of open source in the company and how do an audit and kind of an aggregation of all the open source work that's happening in the company. And then go back and talk to legal and see how legal has been involved in open source in the company. And then really compile um, a recommendation, if you will, to the head of engineering or CTO and say, this is what we're doing in open source. I think we need to have a focus on this and we need to have someone who can you know, take this on either part-time or full-time to work on this. Developers often listen better to developers. So that's why I always say it's best to have it in engineering, in the CTO office. And that's where I am. I sit in the CTO office in Comcast and in one of the largest engineering organizations within Comcast. And, it's, and we think of our developers as our customers. So we are all about making them heroes and successful in whatever they do. So if you can go with that mindset, do an aggregation of what's happening and start small. I would also say, attend an open source event, whether it's Open Source Summit, Sadly, OSCON has gone away, but you can attend all things open. You can attend so many open source events out there, PyCon, etc. cetera. And you start then also talking to other OSPOs, other leaders, and um, that helps you kind of continue to evolve your open source practice inside your company. The last thing I'll say is the to-do group, T-O-D-O group. Mm-hmm. Um, is a huge source of information on how to start your OSPo and how to connect with other OSPos in the industry, and uh, you can find them at todo.group.org. Um, they're a subgroup of the Linux Foundation.
0: To do group has uh, I've had a look at a lot of the work they've done, and it's fantastic. It is just so detailed, but also nothing is, strays from achieving just a certain result. Like they will, you will learn a lot if you do check that out. So make sure that you do check that out. Uh, So you've set up an open source program office. It's running, it's working. How do you measure success? How do you go back and you say, okay, there's actually a positive ROI on what we're doing here?
1: And it's so important to connect it to the business success of the company and also to measure the ROI and to communicate that ROI. Um, Sometimes it's uh, the line of sight between open source consumption and the business impact on the company is a long line. So it's hard to say, because I use this, um, the revenue has grown so much or the cost has reduced so much, et cetera. So what we've been trying to do is first, we try to measure the efficacy of the open source program office itself. Have we made a difference in the lives of our developers? Is it easier for them to consume open source, to contribute to open source, uh to engage with open source communities and we measure the sla or the time it takes for someone to submit a request and and have it approved for example Mm -hmm. the second thing we do is um we try to measure the health of communities we are involved in Um, because we have dependencies on certain open source projects we want to make sure that they are healthy and that we are working with healthy projects, but also helping those projects be healthy uh, through contributions of money and con- etc.
0: And how do you measure the uh, health? What is a healthy community? What do you look for?
1: I think uh, there are some well-known um, metrics these days, thanks to projects like Chaos C H O A S S. The LF. Um, and it's, it's things, you know, you could start with some very superficial things like the number of stars in the project, the number of forks, the number of downloads, the number of PRs, etc. But I think it's also the diversity of the community that's involved, uh, not just, um, you know, diversity in terms of uh, the different kinds of people involved, but also different companies that are involved or different communities that are involved because you don't want one company to dominate or one organization to dominate a project because when they withdraw, then the project can, uh, it can also die. It's, uh, it's how frequently do they release? Uh, do they have a README document? Do they have a code of conduct? How easy is it to engage with uh, the uh, project from a communications perspective? How respectful are they of communications? do they mentor new communicators uh, or contributors do they make it easy for people to contribute to the project to me all of those things also matter not just the velocity or the you know the uh, release of project uh, innovation we also measure uh, such things as if we open source something uh, how successful is that project is it being well maintained mm-hmm. um, and we th- of course, check the health of that project as well. Um, so I, I kind of tune in very much to chaos and make sure that we uh look at uh you know the different things that they're advocating um in terms of measurement of uh the company. Um, we do have opportunities to kind of show business impact from the sense that instead of using a commercial software, if you're using open source, you can kind of say, we've saved so many millions in license costs, right? Mm -hmm. So there's some amount of uh, hard numbers you can show, but most of the time it is effectiveness numbers and health numbers that, that one can show.
0: That's great. And it was so amazing just to hear and go through that list because I think measuring ROI, I remember when talking to Guy Martin, like it's a difficult thing. There are just so many different factors. So thank you for laying, laying those items out. I want to, just something a little bit fun and so kind of along the idea if you could go and you could sit down with a younger you a younger you a younger yourself and uh and and say uh, before you set up the program office before or you'd ever manage one what are some of the key learnings that you'd sit down and you'd say uh to yourself back then
1: um i would say um What would I say to my younger self as I'm about to start an Ospo?
0: As you're about to start, yeah. Based off the biggest biggest things that you learned on your journey.
1: The biggest things I learned on my journey is, first of all, know the business of your company. What business is it in? Uh, What's important to the company? How do they measure their success? Uh, What do their customers want? Because that drives the role of open source and open source program office in that company Mm -hmm. every ospo is different because it's supporting a different objective a different mission a different uh business case a different uh, product line and so it was it's very important for us to understand how you are helping the company succeed and what is the company's business um so For instance, Comcast is a very practical company, very pragmatic company, very customer driven, very focused on innovation. And uh, so it was important for me to understand the culture of the company and the business of the company. The second thing I would say is find enthusiastic people and find supporters uh, don't first go to the detractors who don't believe in open source and try to convince them and argue till you're blue in the face. Go first to the supporters of open source and start building um, uh, momentum, if you will. The third thing I would say is if there are successes, shout it from the rooftop, You know, mm-hmm. share it with others, communicate it, make heroes of the people who are successful so that others then um, realize that they want to be heroes too, and they want to learn too, and they want to kind of do this uh, stuff too. Last but not the least, I would say, is build a fantastic team around you. I am so lucky to have one of the best teams in the business. And um, we started off as a team of women, Um, all-women team. And then we uh, said, no, no, we need diversity. So we brought our first uh, man on the team. And uh, we are a team who often did not come from an open source background, but we had the right bones. We believed in collaboration. We believed in customer service. We believed in innovation. And I... I'm privileged to work with this team and I'm very lucky to work with this team. So I would say those are some of the lessons work with, you know, enthusiasts, understand the business of your company. Oh, one more thing, get a good champion or sponsor in your company. And um, this is so, so important. Someone at the top who believes in the importance of open source in your company and to its innovation And I'm very, very lucky to have two of my best bosses ever, um, Matt Zalesko, who's our CTO, and John Moore, who's my boss, who's the Chief Software Architect. They are incredibly pivotal to supporting and continuing open source work at Comcast.
0: That's great. And yeah, the champion is definitely necessary. I've heard that quite a few times now. So that is definitely a point that you need to remember. So we'd now like to shift gears a little bit and focus on best practices for managing corporate engagement with open source software. So what are some of the best practices that you've seen uh, that companies have done when contributing back to open source projects they've used or consumed?
1: Yeah, yeah. I think um, you also said an important word, Henry, which is contribute. Many companies will start and it's so easy to consume. So they consumption is check. We've done it. Compliance a little harder. And so but they have to do it. So they'll do that and then they'll stop. And it's important to give back. So it's important to contribute back. Why is it important to contribute back? And what do best in class companies do? First, they know their dependencies. They know what open source software they're using. And they know which is critical to their success. Mm -hmm. Then they go off and they start engaging with those communities. They either sit in on the mailing lists. They either, you know, uh, sponsor that project or they go attend at events. They evangelize their use of the project. And then beyond that, they start realizing that they've made some changes to the project and that these changes really belong back in the project. They don't want to carry technical debt. They don't want to uh, fork the distribution and not benefit from the innovations of the project. They also realize that in order to use the latest security patches, they need to be on the head of the, 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 the tree and not to... Uh, four can be on another side. So they do that and they realize that if projects are not sustained in open source, the goose that laid the golden egg will be dead. And so sustaining open source, giving back open source is critical to all of us succeeding in open source, all of us consuming open source. So if each of us says, hey, someone else is going to do it, I'm not gonna do it, then the commons will be gone. So we do need to uh, contribute back.
0: What do you see the, how do you foresee the path towards achieving sustainability within the open source industry? What does that look like to you and how do you think we can get there?
1: I think there are many, many players uh, towards sustainability. Um, There are players such as the foundations, uh, who uh, aggregate uh, you know, contributions and who give back to those communities. Um, the Linux Foundation itself, for example, hosts hundreds of projects and it provides a very professional level uh, governance and infrastructure and monies towards that project, which comes in from members and it gets back into the community. And the philosophy of the Linux Foundation, which I love, is that projects start out in a very organic fashion, but then it gets used by companies. There's a commercial ecosystem that builds around it, uh, and which then uh, contributes money back through profits that they make and in the use of the product. So you really need that flywheel to be successful and to work um, you know, very effectively. So I would say foundations are extremely important, and then of course every consumer in the business contributing back in any way possible, not just code, but in money, in evangelization, marketing, volunteering, governance, etc. Mm-hmm. The third thing I would say is um, we are, you know, really facing um, a lot of burnout of maintainers, of contributors. You cannot expect just one or two contributors to be bearing the burden of carrying the entire project. Our expectations of contributors and maintainers is high. So we need to make sure that we are grooming new contributors, grooming new maintainers to come into the business. We are supporting uh, maintainers through, uh, you know, all taking on other uh, help in the project uh, that's needed. Whether it's you know marketing help, uh, website or community development, etc., so I would think you know sustaining the people in open source, who are the commons, um, succeed, sustaining projects with everyone contributing, and then really help through foundations, uh, helping create kind of a professionalism in in uh, projects would are three big things. There are lots of steps, but I think these are three good
0: ones. Definitely. And I couldn't agree more. You touched on the point of the open source contributors and maintainers. And I know that a lot of maintainers and contributors these days are employed by companies like Amazon by Comcast, and they're in very high demand. There's no, there's no doubt about that. So what what does an open source friendly approach, um, sorry, how does an open source friendly approach attract great talent? Uh, Because I I can imagine that there's a lot of developers that are working for Comcast and they love the idea that Comcast is an open source friendly company. So why, why is that?
1: Um, Yes. Um, Having a great open source program office as well as an open source program as a company and being a good citizen in open source is very, very important to attracting and retaining good talent in the community. And you're exactly right. Many companies are, you know, vying with each other for the same great talent. And the reason uh, an open source culture inside the company becomes important is a lot of new developers and frankly, a lot of um, mature developers today want to work with open source. They know that open source is everywhere. And they also like the philosophy of working with open source and the culture of open source and the belief of giving back. So uh, they want that and they don't want to work for a company that does not support that or does not give them enough time to work with open source or attend an open source conference or learn a new skill Mm -hmm. or to uh, speak on behalf of the company and its innovation in open source. So I think um, knowing that there are mature practices in a company is a huge, huge draw for many, many of our developers. Um, and and it's a great sense of pride. Uh, it's a great sense of, um, I guess um, happiness when you see your company represent itself in open source communities and be respected for the work that they do. So I think it's, it's, it's important to both recruiting and retention and development. So for example, on the development side, um, the contribution to open source, speaking at open source conferences is a key part of our technical ladder in the company. So if you want to go from being an engineer to a principal engineer, to a distinguished engineer, to a fellow, you need to have uh, worked in open source and contribute to open source, which is huge. In the old days, it used to be that you would win patents, and uh, you know, getting patents is an important consideration. And I'm not taking anything away from that. We highly encourage our teams to also file for patents, because patents and open source can coexist. But we also encourage them to give back and work in open source.
0: I think that's definitely also just a path towards sustainability is having that encouragement from the company driving contributions and driving that kind of behavior is is great to hear. And I've definitely heard it. It's consistent across a lot of people that I've talked to at the large companies. So again, I'd like to shift gears a little bit and and focus on what some of the best practices are for managing community, open source communities for projects that say Comcast started or projects that a company starts. What are some best practices around that?
1: And that's so important, uh, Henry, because you don't want to just release a project and then just disappear.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, we're not in the business of dumping and running. Uh, we. Has that want... ever
0: worked? Has that ever worked before? The companies?
1: It it works only if it is such a valuable piece of code that someone adopts it and then someone kind of you know takes it over and starts uh, okay. maintaining it, right? But then with millions and millions of projects these days. How does it even get heard, right? How do people even know? So right in the, in the contribution process, when someone comes to us and says, I want to release this project, we immediately ask, do you have time to maintain this project once it's released? Mm-hmm. Have you and your manager allocated time for you to take care of that project? If you haven't, we will discourage you from releasing this project. Yeah. <clears throat> so that's important. We also ask the question of, <clears throat> is there an existing project that does similar things? Should this be contributed to that project or become a part of that ecosystem instead of you know, starting yet another project? Right. Um, and so those two really big questions we ask. And then once we approve the release of the project, my team gets involved, and they help the developer um, successfully set up the project on GitHub, set up a README. We have a real checklist of things we feel is good hygiene. Uh, README, code of conduct, CLA, contributor guide, uh, a logo, a sticker.
0: (laughs) logo. I found a lot of open source developers, they they aren't the best designers at logos, but they always seem to love the do it themselves. And then the logo hangs around for years, even though it's got tens of millions of users, they've got a funky little logo that is just... (laughs) Hand-drawn.
1: Exactly. Exactly. And my team is very creative. They kind of help with trademarking, logos, all of that good stuff. And they also coach them on community building, you know, how you need to be transparent in your communications, how you need to share your roadmap, Mm -hmm. how you need to attract developers, how you need to nurture your developers by thanking them for their contribution, not biting their head off because they didn't do it right and by encouraging, you know, speaking at conferences about your project. Uh, So we help with a lot of the community building efforts um, and we encourage these teams to do it. I'm so, so proud of uh, some of our projects, Um, Traffic Control, which is now at the Apache Foundation, Uh, Trickster, which is um, a Prometheus dashboard acceleration project, and it's being considered uh, for more contribution to the CNCF Foundation, for example, Kuber Healthy, which is a Kubernetes cluster management uh, software, Winel DNS, which is DNS as a service. So it's things that we do at scale. We are, at, uh, we are an at scale company, we support millions and millions of customers. So we, it's really tested in our own work and in our own production. So when we put it out there, we try to make sure that it's uh, supported correctly. I, I've got to be honest with you. Sometimes um, maintainers change, leave companies, et cetera. And so my team works very hard to kind of track down projects that are not very active and go back and talk to maintainers and make sure that they uh, either assign it to somebody. So it's it's kind of a life cycle process for us. We help in the beginning and then we constantly monitor to make sure these projects are successful.
0: And you touched on a lot of the open source projects that Comcast manages. Why do you manage those open source projects? Why did you make them open source in the first place? Were they internal tools which you used and you thought the rest of the ecosystem could benefit from them? What was the reasoning behind really, I guess, having these open source projects?
1: And that's a great question. when teams come to us, we ask them why they're open sourcing it, because we want them to think about the reason. Mm -hmm. And sometimes the reason is, uh, I find this extremely useful as a tool or a library inside the company. And we think there are many other companies which could benefit from this. or many other people who could benefit from this. So you're absolutely right. It's something that people feel so passionately that is going to be useful to the world. They want to make sure that they are contributing something back uh, from a goodness perspective. The second reason, teams will say, is they want to demonstrate the innovation, the quality of work we do, because that attracts more developers into the company. Mm -hmm. But they see um, the kind of work uh, we do as a company, uh, you know, In proprietary days, nobody knew what you did and couldn't even see your code. But now with open source, they can actually see your code. They said, dang, they do good work. And I want to be part of that. The third reason could be that you want to create a standard in a certain area um, because um, there is such a fragmentation of different ways to solve a problem. You want to create one way. Uh, or a consistent way or a default standard in that area. And then, you know, there are various other reasons of building ecosystem. Um, it makes it easier for you to uh, help others consume your software and work towards a common API. Um, and so for all of those reasons and others, we, we often approve it. We approve almost 95% of the requests that come in front of us. Wow. Yeah, very rarely do we say no to, and this is our legal team incredibly supporting us, working with us, and making sure that you know we give the developers the best guidelines for being successful in the open source.
0: Yeah, I, I know. When I was talking with Gil Yehuda, he he was saying that. Whenever the engineers heard something was going to be open source, they all kind of freaked out and and they all thought, oh, no, we we better make this good. We we better add good comments. We better make sure that the flow is right and it's structured right. And I was sort of thinking, why don't you just open source everything so you just give them this pressure? Or shouldn't technically the engineers be doing that the entire time? But I thought that was a, a very funny comment and observation on his behalf. But something else which I know you're very, very passionate about and something which you've really, really been driving at as, as the chair and also on the board for the Linux Foundation for a while now is the idea of diversity and inclusion. And we all know this is a, a very important issue across all industries today. But in particular, in the open source space, it is something which we haven't necessarily, it's, it's never really going to be solved, but I think it's something that we really needed to work towards. So I was wondering if you could talk a bit about how companies can work towards being more diverse and more inclusive, uh, whether it's on their developer teams or within the open source projects they manage or just in general.
1: Yes, indeed. Um, it's a huge, huge passion for me, a huge part of what I do. Um, you know, when you have a role, uh, either as a chair or, you know, heading your function inside the company, you have a platform and a privilege that you can use to uh, voice um, the need for change and the need for policy and the need for a different way of doing things. And um, frankly, uh, the reason open source has not been very diverse, in fact, it's the diversity in open source is much much poorer than technology in general is because open source was a bunch of enthusiasts and they kind of just really focused on innovating and moving the code forward they never really thought about um, what they need to do from a culture and community perspective right so uh, we are working very very hard and the linux foundation does a fantastic job of everything from scholarships to mentorships, um, to inviting public speakers uh, on the topic, and also showcasing all the diverse people in open source, because you cannot be what you don't see. So if you see someone on stage who looks like you, you see someone who's a leader in this space who looks like you, that inspires you, that tells you that that is possible, that's a path that can be possible for you. And so uh, I'm very lucky to... Uh, be part of an organization that really is driving it. But to your question, uh, what else can companies do? What else can we do to improve diversity? And, and it's for various reasons, right? It's damn good for the business. Mm-hmm. It is um, really a world that we're building, a digital world that needs to reduce bias, remove bias from uh, the build.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, it also creates incredible innovation. It creates opportunity and equity for people. So there's so many, many good reasons why uh, diversity is important for me and for the world at large. Um, I would say companies can also make sure that the projects that they are involved in are diverse, are healthy, have Mm -hmm. a code of conduct. Um, they uh, They can walk away from projects and say, I am not going to support you financially or otherwise, if you do not have a diversity policy or mentorship, and I know it's hard for small projects to kind of invest in all that, but they can bring advice and counsel to that project. I would say do mentorship projects, support mentorship projects like Outreachy, like Google Summer of Code, like uh, Linux Foundation uh, diversity projects and mentorship projects. Not recognize just code, but recognize all diverse forms of contribution. Uh, Henry, you make a contribution in the form of marketing and evangelization. I make contribution in the form of marketing and governance and so on and so forth. So we need to recognize that open source needs all forms of contribution.
0: Mm -hmm. I would
1: say pay for scholarships, for travel, for people to go attend events. Um, do talks, do articles, do, you know, the biggest, one of the biggest things is walk away from conferences that do not seem to have a diverse set of speakers, do not sit on open source uh, panels that are all male panels or have no diversity. So there's lots and lots of different ways you can be an activist, you can be an active ally, if you will, of diversity in open source.
0: I I couldn't agree more, and and just on the point of recognizing all contribution is something that we've been very, very passionate about at Open Teams, and it was actually probably the first, I guess, uh, aspect of our business that we focused on. So if you go to openteams.com today, you can create a profile and you can build out your profile with your skills, your experience. You can add an open source project you created, or you can go to an open source project that you've contributed to, and you can add your contribution, not just code, but any contribution. And I think that's really, really important is that there hasn't really been a way for people to be recognized because it's I I might be getting this number wrong, but I do remember hearing that over 70% uh, of all the work isn't code. Only 30% of all the open source work done for open source projects in the open source industry is is code. So I thought that was really interesting. But as we get towards the end, I thought this is something I always like to ask uh, every guest. What are you most excited about with regards to the future of open source?
1: I think the future is extremely bright. I think it is here to stay. It is everywhere. Uh, One of the things that excites me is a broader adoption of open source uh, in government, in the energy industry, in healthcare. Uh, There's been tremendous innovation during the COVID days, uh, during this pandemic of uh, groups coming together to create projects that collect data or that help with um, uh, contact tracing, et cetera. So we were involved, for example, in a project for, with the Code for Philly group in Philadelphia, which was working on uh, how to track um, data for hospitals and so that hospitals can do a better job of planning mm-hmm. staffing and PPE, etc. So I love the broad adoption of open source Uh, The second is, I think we are becoming more and more diverse and inclusive. And there is a vocabulary and a recognition of being diverse and inclusive, which I love. The third uh, trend I'm a huge fan of is open source inside the company or inner source. And for all of us to use those same principles, especially in a time like now, Henry, where all of us are working remotely, Uh, And open source has cracked the code on working across the the world um, in an asynchronous way across companies, across people, breaking down silos, and Mm -hmm. the same principles can easily be applied inside companies. So those would be the three things I would be very excited about.
0: That's great. And it is such an exciting future, and I think we're just at the beginning of what is a revolution in the software industry and just the world at large. So it's so, so excited to be a part of that. And you have been uh, one of the leaders of that. So I do thank you so much for joining us today and for all of the work you've put in to helping open source thrive, because that's really what we wanna do at Open Teams. That's our, that's our mission is to help open source help open source thrive. And I know that's something you've been passionate about for a long time. So thanks for joining us and thank you for your time.
1: My pleasure, Henry. Thank you for such a thoughtful interview. I got a chance to share uh, some of my passions and my excitement and uh, it couldn't have gone better. Thank you.
0: And I've loved chatting with you, so thanks. And everyone who's listening, uh, if you liked what you listened to or watched today, then please go to our YouTube channel and like and subscribe and leave a comment letting us know what you think. And also one thing that really, really will help out is if you leave a review on uh, Apple Podcasts or whatever medium Uh, or platform you're listening to this on. So I just want to thank you all for listening. Thank you, Nithya. Everyone stay safe. And until next time, goodbye.